welcome back to Hate Read. I'm Em. And I'm Anna. Every fortnight, we challenge each other to read a book that we think the other person will hate. Um, so this fortnight, I chose um, for <laughs> M to read the book They'd Rather Be Right by Mark Clifton, a 1955 Hugo Award winning science fiction novel. So the first question on the podcast, did you actually finish the book? I did, and uh, <laughs> it was uh, definitely a challenge to get through some parts of it, which yes. it shouldn't have been because it was a pretty short book. Yes, it clocked in at about 170-some pages, I believe. The first thing to know when going into this book um, is that it's split, at least in the format that we read it in, which from like researching it seemed like there were like a few different releases of this book but the format we read it in there were it was split into three parts and essentially the first part is completely not important because they recap everything that happens in the first part Uh immediately in the second part yeah so there is no point to it but um part one is entitled crazy joey and it introduces us to joey the young son of uh bob and madge he is a telepath um He's the only telepath that we know of. Uh, he, his parents think that he's crazy, and his powers are like really weird because he can they're like varied. They're, they're very so varied. weird. They don't make <laughs> so, any sense. So he can detect and feel emotions. To yes. some extent, he can control and influence these emotions. Yeah, he can sometimes see the future, and he can. Yeah, that, I was like what yeah and and he can also talk to animals like he can he can talk to them in human english words and they yeah and also he can like he he can control people's minds yeah yeah so like okay so this this kid is like a mary sue telepath so his parents think he's crazy because he keeps like responding to stuff that like isn't being said aloud you know Mm -hmm. typical oh he's a telepath but everyone thinks he's crazy sort of nonsense so they take him in um but there's also like because i was so confused about this this is what his dad says about him the reasons that he thinks joe joey is weird not playing with the other kids cutting school claiming the teachers don't like him it ain't natural madge i don't like it um, I very much felt that like Clifton has never been around a child in his oh, life. Yes. Um, because did you did you catch this? This is a little bit further on, but um, the rectangle. Yes. <laughs> There's a part <laughs> where um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read this quote. Okay. So Joey's being tested by. Well, let's let's get to that in the plot first, real quick. Um. So okay. Joey is taken into the hospital. Um, or not the hospital, the university to be test where his dad works as a janitor to be tested by mm-hmm. Dr. Ames, who's the Dean of Psychology, and then his assistant, Dr. Martin. And Dr. Martin is like, oh, Dr. Ames is such an old fuddy-duddy. He'll never believe in ESP, which like... <laughs> which a lot of people don't. That's an okay trait to have. <laughs> yes, like that seems, that's probably fine. Um, Dr. Ames is like called away. So Martin's like, now's my chance to check if this kid has ESP. So he, like, runs through all of these tests. 
you know, the card test and whatever. And Joey like tries to outsmart him, but does a bad job. Yeah. Joey. Well, he does. He does a good job for an eight year old. <laughs> That's he, true. That is true. Um, but at one point, Martin goes, <laughs> he doesn't know what statistics are. <laughs> Poor Joey. Um, so Martin, Martin asks Joey, do you know what a rectangle is, Joey? Joey didn't, but the vision of a square leaped into his mind. Yes, sir. Joey said, it's a sort of a square. That's right, Martin said approvingly, making a mental note that the boy shouldn't have known the word and did. He's eight. What eight-year-old doesn't know what a rectangle I is? I really had to like Google. I Googled when do child or when do children learn about shapes? <laughs> Spoiler alert! It's, it's a, a lot, lot sooner earlier. than eight. Like yeah, like I was hanging out with. Well, okay, I wasn't hanging out with a three-year-old. I was hanging out with her mother. But you know, like. I was around a three-year-old recently. and Your social uh, life is very interesting. I, I know, right? Um, but I was, you know, around a three-year-old, and she knows what a rectangle is, and no one thinks that that is weird. So I am 100% certain that an eight-year-old should know what a, a rectangle is. Like that, yeah. So I'm pretty sure Clifton just has never been around a child. Yeah. So <laughs> the stuff that his dad is worried about, it's like, yeah, that's normal child stuff, but whatever, that's fine. Yeah. Um, let's beat them though, just in case. This section of the book was very weird and stream of consciousness because I guess we're trying to emulate like Joey can't control his powers because he's a kid. He doesn't understand them. He's just getting assaulted by thoughts all the time. Yeah, like he understands it's important to trick Dr. Martin into not letting him know he's a telepath, but he's also not smart enough to know how to hide that from school bullies and teachers and stuff. So it's like... Yeah, like, and there was a lot of that in this first section where it was like, Joey is extremely intelligent, but also kind of an idiot. Yeah. I mean, he's eight. Well, yeah, he's eight. So, you know, he's allowed to be an idiot. Uh, Dr. Martin, like, confronts Joey about him being a telepath and makes an agreement with Joey that he won't tell anybody because he knows that if he tells anybody they're going to think he's crazy and he'll probably lose his job and whatever. So he and Joey work together to convince Dr. Ames when he shows back up that Joey's just like an average boy. And the real trouble is that Joey's mom coddles him. Yes. Whatever. You've spoiled him so dreadfully that now you must take stern measures because the boy (gasps) could easily become a catatonic schizophrenic. Right. Dr. Ames is like, this is complete nonsense, but this woman is hanging on my every word. So I'm just going to convince her that she's going to irrevocably harm her child by being nice to him, which like give her awful medical advice because I want to scare her. Right. Gotcha. That's so rude. Um, so, okay. So then Joey finds a dog. And as we've kind of discussed, he has a telepathic conversation with the dog, the the dog, the dog. Um, and yeah, he tells the dog he's contemplating suicide. Yeah. yeah. And the dog's like, don't commit suicide, Joey. (laughs) Yeah. Joey's like, well, as long as you need to stay alive, dog, I'll stay alive too. Which you're like, oh, the dog saved him. Yeah, in that part, Joey's like, I could use my powers to stop your heart or stop my heart. Like, Joey can just kill people. Like, that's a power he has. He can just instantly. Apparently. Yeah, so, like, Joey is incredibly scary. Like, he, in any other book, I think he would be the villain who, like, someone has to rise up and defeat because his powers are too much. He's got a little bit of a dark phoenix going on. (laughs) 
Yeah, I kept thinking like X-Men in general. Like He needs to go to a special school run yes. by a bald man. Which he kind of ends up doing. So um, yeah, it time jumps into the more future. Because I think this is supposed to be like 50 years in the future from the 50s. So it's... So... About 10 years ago. (laughs) Yeah, about 10 years ago is when this is supposed to be happening. But it's slightly in the future from the first part with Joey, where we meet uh, Professor Billings, who is a professor of psychosomatic medicine at Hawksworth University. Uh, He gets roped into by the government working on a machine which can essentially self-navigate. Like, that's what the machine is supposed to be for. Yeah, and for some reason they need the machine... To be able to tell the difference between wrong and right in order to fly a plane. I, that was, I was confused. Yeah, they're like, they're like, okay, the machine needs to be able to navigate without running into things. And the guy whose name I forget, the go-between between the government and the university, because A in Rogan this, or something. Yeah, in this future, like, the government is controlling everybody's thought processes and, like, is very strict about what you can can and cannot think and whatever he rogan is like oh it should be easy it's just like the opposite of a guided missile which is supposed to hit things like you you program it to hit things it's just like that but it doesn't hit Mm -hmm. things and then billings is like well yeah in order to not hit things you basically need to like understand the entire world yeah it has to foresee the future yeah yeah which like no it doesn't but yeah it it's kind of a huge logical leap that like in order to have a self-guided thing it has to understand the entire Mm -hmm. world but that's the leap that this book asks you to make and i think a lot of it too is more confusing than it should be because clifton obviously doesn't have the language to talk about these things yet like the way that i don't think they even use the word computer once in this book which i don't know if, if in in 1954 were they using computer I don't know, I gotta watch Hidden Figures again, apparently. (laughs) So they keep calling it like a servo mechanism and just talking about it in these really weird philosophical ways that... Yeah, that's like a hallmark of this book. It's just like really long philosophical ramblings, which basically boil down to wake up sheeple yeah pretty much (laughs) i have a whole section of my notes um about the rude things joe says about normal people oh my god he's such a brat (laughs) he's he's such like he's like the neckbeard who's too obsessed with the fact that he watches rick and morty yes yeah yeah you normies just don't understand so billings is like how will i possibly do this and then he's like oh yeah right that telepathic student that i have that i've known for 12 years right right so billings was contacted by martin so martin is no longer a character in this story and doesn't matter i don't know why martin and billings weren't just the same person but they weren't so whatever but billings (laughs) gives us the backstory on joe so reiterates all of the stuff that we just learned in part one And then he's like, oh, and he found a dog, but the dog was put down by his parents. And then Joe had a massive sad about it and now just putters along. Yeah, he's so depressed and he doesn't even function or talk about his power. Well, obviously he wouldn't talk about his powers, but he's just like this Eeyore of a man now. Yeah, but yeah, Billings pulled the strings to get him into the university. So even though he was a totally average student because he was trying to hide the fact that he was a telepath, he got a scholarship and blah, blah, blah. Um, So they have a bunch of boring philosophical talk and Joe is like, this will destroy mankind. And Billings is like, "Mm, it's probably fine. They, They get a bunch of scientists to 
join in and help them, but they don't tell them what they're really trying to do. And then Billings is like, Joe, mind control them into not sucking at their jobs. And Joe's like, no, mind control is bad. (laughs) I'm a little rusty because I haven't done it since I was a kid. (laughs) And then Billings is like, isn't everything kind of mind control? Like, isn't asking someone to pass the salt mind control? And Joe's like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's the same thing. I guess I'll mind control everybody. No more moral quandaries about mind control. This rest of the book, I'm going to be mind controlling absolutely everyone. Literally everyone he comes across. Like, he has no qualms. Which really lowers the stakes a lot when essentially every single problem they come across is solved by Joe being like, "Mm, yeah, but mind control. (laughs) Yeah, but now you have to vomit. Booyah. Now you're sad about something. Yeah. So yeah, so Joe mind controls everybody. Um, The whole university gets in on the project, even though they don't really know what the project is. And they decide to call the project bossy because cows. It looks like a cow. Let me, let me read this description. Our first description of bossy, which doesn't sound like a cow to me, but you be the judge. (laughs) Bossy began to take shape. And oddly enough, the box took on a faint resemblance to a cow. Perhaps this was mainly due to the two eye stalks which sprouted out from near its upper surface, like horns topped with dragonfly eye lenses. None of this poor human vision for their bossy. The diaphragm for picking up sound on the front of the box was vaguely like the blaze on an animal's face. The apertures for air entrance where scent and taste could be sampled were like nostrils. Totally a cow. Definitely a cow. Which also, though, I mean, like, maybe this is a thing amongst people with cows. The book claims multiple times that bossy is what children call cows. And I'm like, is it? I've never Mm. heard that. But I mean, I'm not, I wasn't around cows as a child. So I Or in the 1950s. Or in the 1950s. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so they they call their cow computer bossy. Um, And then it kind of like news kind of leaks and everyone starts freaking out about bossy. Um, And Mm -hmm. they're like, it's gonna destroy mankind and billings is just like complete garbage at pr so he goes out and he's like yeah. here's what bossy is and then gives them like a bunch of just like technical terms and everyone's like that did not allay my fears at all i'm still pretty sure that this cow is going to destroy humanity um and billings is like oh shit joe is right people can't handle this idea at all he was totally right and then some villagers like literal villagers storm the university and <laughs> their pitch burn it down everything. with their pitchforks and they like burn it down and we're like oh no is this the end of bossy but it's actually fine because joe being the omniscient telepath that he is smuggled mm-hmm. bossy out earlier and also saves billings and hoskins who's like the mechanical lead on the project and they all go on the run together yes And he, like, waits this long because Joe knew all of this was going to happen, but he needed to wait for Billings to quote-unquote grow up, which I guess just means he waited for Billings to hit rock bottom before sweeping (laughs) him off his feet to San Francisco. So this this 20-year-old telepath is like, I'm going to make sure that Billings understands the error of his ways by making this whole thing blow up into this big mob situation. (laughs) 
Joe, people might get hurt. This isn't cool. They burned down a whole college campus they for you, Joe. They burned down a college. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> which, like, I think it said that, like, everybody was evacuated before this, which, okay, cool, but you didn't know that. Unless maybe he mind-controlled everyone to leave. This is a distinct possibility. <laughs> he mind-controlled the mob to teach Billings a lesson. <laughs> the whole thing is just Joe trying to teach Billings, like, a la... Um, Arrested Development and the guy with the uh, the one arm. It's just an elaborate, an elaborate <laughs> ploy to teach Billings a lesson. Yes. <laughs> anyway, okay, so part two, a couple of years have passed. So they recap everything that just happened without all the philosophical bullshit, which is how I figured out what just happened because yeah. I was so confused at the end of part one. But they... They recap everything. Hoskins and Billings and Joe are now like all on the run with the bossy bits. Bossy bits. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, well, that's uh, yeah. They've they've dismantled bossy. Yeah. Um, so they're all hanging out in Skid Row in San Francisco, and Joe is suddenly like this cool noir hero. Like none of the like nervous. Uh, socially awkward Joe of before. He's just blazing in, mind controlling everybody. Yeah. At one point, okay. So at one point, um, the feds are like chasing him, right? And there's mm -hmm. these agents hanging out outside the the hotel where they're staying, mm -hmm. and Joe mind controls them to go off in a group together. <laughs> and then because he has a sense of humor. Um, mind controls them to all realize at the same time that they've left their targets unattended and they all like look up comically and are like oh no and like run on back to their <laughs> to their posts after yeah. Joe has gotten everybody to safety he turns into like I don't know this so huge jerk because then there's another there's another undercover agent that's like sitting by himself dressed up as a homeless man and drinking cheap wine and Joe thinks it would be funny to like, as this agent is taking a sip of wine, to suddenly make that agent feel uncontrollably sick so that he leaves his post. A post of which yeah. he was sitting there, he wasn't even aware that Joe was who he was or anything. Yeah. Joe was just like, well, I've got the ability to do this. Might as well. Might, Might as well as demonstrate well. to the reader what I can do. And then at another point, he like goes... He has to go and fetch the bossy bits from from some warehouse or something. And he comes across the clerk or agent in charge of releasing the cargo to him. And this guy is being a little bit um, hard to deal with. He Apparently, he's got a chip on his shoulder and decides the best way to do his job is by not doing his job and not allowing people to access the cargo they have a right to access. And so Joe gives this guy the impression that he is like some big tough man and just starts insulting the guy to get him to do his yeah. job. The, the, the guy says, you want me to lead you by the hand to the cargo? And Joe says, no, don't like to get my hand dirty. <laughs> such a dick I, yeah i i this just and this just came out of nowhere because part one joe was yeah. like wishy-washy wimpy guy it was very unequal characterization yeah i guess all that characterization must have taken place in the two years right. that we didn't witness but i mean why would a reader want to want to read about that no no you don't you don't <laughs> want to like actually boring. see the characters change or grow 
Um, So Joe and his posse of sad professors (laughs) head to this home hotel, I don't know, whatever. Hotel Deluxe, it's called. Yeah, owned by um, this woman named Mabel, who's a former hooker who has parlayed her various uh, bits of blackmail about everyone who came to her for her hooking ability into a small criminal empire, essentially. Um, Yeah. Can we talk for a second about how much this book shits on Mabel for being, like, an older woman who's overweight? (laughs) Um, this book shits on women in general. This is true. This book is not kind to to the female gender at all. I mean, um, Mabel is only the second female character to actually show up, um, aside from Bossy. The first being Joe's dumb mother, who is yeah. conned into believing everything is her fault. Like, that's the first one. And then we have Mabel, who's this old woman who they just constantly talk shit about how ridiculous it is that she's old <laughs> yes clifton is obsessed with how ugly she is or she how yeah. she ugly she must be she's got broad and shapeless thighs dirty old skirts she's got rheumatism and arthritis which is aggravated by her fat <laughs> um she lacked the basic characteristics which would have qualified her for respectability she was old and fat and slovenly <laughs> all right so we're introduced to you mabel and uh doc carney who's a mentalist that joe worked with on his summer vacay one time just randomly I don't know what the timeline was supposed to be on that yeah, because he's that? been on the run, but right. okay. His summer vacay from their fugitive state. I don't know. But Carney's going to be their go-between and Carney and Mabel assume that the gang is like a group of counterfeiters. Uh, but really they're planning to finish Bossy, which Joe wants to do so that he can create another telepath because he's so Yeah, I wasn't lonely. sure how he came to that leap in logic he just that knew. a machine who that can automatically fly airplanes would create the next telepath and help humans on their next path of evolution like he, I don't... yeah it was like a pretty huge leap to make but yeah joe is nothing if not a huge leaper yeah <laughs> <laughs> so Hoskins starts reassembling Bossy, and he's like, hmm, I remember inventing all of this, but I don't remember actually figuring out how to do any of it. I wonder how I invented any of this. And he goes and talks to Billings, and Billings is like, hmm, uh, I don't know. Uh, Maybe you should uh, go ask Joe about it. I don't even know why you're being allowed to think this. (laughs) Billings Billings is the worst at keeping secrets. Right. Uh, he literally says, I don't know why you're being allowed to think this. <laughs> if that's not going to throw up a red flag, I don't know what is. Right. So he tells Hoskins he's a telepath and Hoskins is like, right. this is complete nonsense. One of the ways he uses to make Hoskins believe he is a telepath is again by making him throw up. Yes. Joe is just really into making people throw up. <laughs> yeah. Like, he writes on a piece of paper 
and gives it to Billings. And on the piece of paper, it says, Hoskins will need to throw up in less than a minute. And, <laughs> and then he makes then Hoskins, he makes need, Hoskins to need to throw up. <laughs> there and are ha- easier ways to right. do that. And also better ways to do that, because Hoskins is just like, uh, you just realized that I looked a little green around the gills. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but so Carney figures out who they are and it like he he connects them to the whole bossy story like the news story that's been going around and the fact that they're all fugitives and he's like uh, bossy's gonna blow up the world or he's gonna enslave humanity or who really knows it's kind of vague what everybody thinks is gonna happen with bossy but it's gonna be really bad but Mabel is like who are we to judge essentially which I mean that's cool but also if like the thing that you're judging is whether or not this piece of technology you're harboring is gonna destroy humankind. Like, I don't know, maybe judge that, maybe a little. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So um, this is around the time when I kind of stopped taking notes. So we'll see how this goes. Uh, So uh, this guy named Kennedy writes like an op-ed piece about "Eh, maybe Bossy isn't actually that bad. Joe is like, oh, this guy Kennedy is clearly trying to get in contact with us. They the, they finish their work on Bossy. She's pretty much all put together. And Joe decides that the first person who's going to undergo psychosomatic therapy with Bossy is going to be Mabel. Um, and, like, essentially the whole psychosomatic therapy is this idea that cells your your individual cells are under physical and psychological tension and this is what causes the aging process and all of your health issues and if you remove all of your psychological tensions then the cells will renew and you'll be younger essentially it's talk (laughs) therapy but if the goal of talk therapy was immortality Immortality. yeah so that's not how anything works but that's okay they put Mabel into the machine and Mm -hmm. after several days and some hijinks involving having to get plasma from (laughs) a hospital, Mabel emerges from the machine and is beautiful and youthful and and naked. naked. (laughs) (laughs) Which they go into at length the reason for her being naked. She needs to be naked for science is literally their excuse. (laughs) yeah yeah like okay whatever and and then joe says like well pretty much because i can read everyone's mind no one has any modesty around me we're like uh shut up joe (laughs) fuck off joe (laughs) so mabel in her frenzied bossy induced state goes running (laughs) through the streets naked and immediately gets taken into police custody Mm -hmm. and they send for a psychological examiner and he's like this lady is clearly crazy and they run her fingerprints and they're like oh this is supposed to be this 50 year old woman who has been arrested several times for all of the hooking that she used to do Mm -hmm. so that's why we have her fingerprints so we know it's her but also she looks like she's like in her 20s like this is crazy (laughs) and Um, it can't be makeup it gets out that there's this woman who seems to have found the fountain of youth, like her trial to see if she's going to be released or not. A bunch of women show up and just start clamoring to find out 
how she pulled this off. Yeah, because that's all they're concerned about is wanting to see how they could get younger in order to please their husbands. Yes. Like, at one point, one woman is like, my old man's going to be so upset if I don't come back and look 35. Like, No, no, no. It was, uh, my old man needs me to look 18 by tonight. And the other girl goes, 18? I'd settle for 35. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um... So, but Joe shows up and uses some more telepathic trickery to get the women to disperse, and he heads on into the <laughs> the court to observe the trial. And which I think took place the next day, which is yeah, pretty it, speedy. I mean, which, especially considering there was all of this hubbub about it, yeah. Uh, okay, whatever. <laughs> Joe observes that. Uh, Mabel has a defense lawyer and the defense lawyer is like super good at his job and he takes down all of the charges immediately and they decide to release Mabel. So Joe goes to talk to the defense lawyer and uses some uh, telepathic trickery to again find out who he works for, which is Kennedy, the guy that wrote the op-ed. Yeah. So Joe goes to see Kennedy, who we are now introduced to, and he's like, this great businessman who uses all of his great businessman powers to basically do whatever he wants and ignore all of the government rules about like thought suppression or whatever yeah which oh yeah which by the way this really takes clear place. what exactly that was yeah this takes place in like a weird dystopian future where the government controls how and what everyone thinks about everything? Yes. I think. I think, essentially, what this is, is a response to McCarthyism. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that was taking McCarthyism to the, not logical, but to the extreme of being like, okay, so you can't talk about certain things without being accused of X political belief, yeah. So we're going to continue that to say basically you're not allowed to think, you're not allowed to like question the status quo at all. Yeah, and if you are outside of this perfect mold that we've made, you're considered an other and you're ostracized and or arrested and whipped in public. Right. Yeah. Right. Um but Kennedy being like this great businessman is able to like basically have a little island to himself amid all this like governmental craziness. So Joe waltzes on in and uses some more telepathic trickery yet again, because again, there are no stakes in this book because Joe is a superpowered monster. Yeah, there Um, are literally no consequences to him doing anything that he does. Because the second anyone finds out that he questions him, they're just like, oh, okay. I mean, like, what are they going to do? He's just going to alter their emotions into thinking that he's the best anyway. So, yeah. So Joe waltzes on in, meets Kennedy. Kennedy's like, I want the bossy project Uh, because Kennedy has connected the dots that Mabel is a result of the bossy project. Mm -hmm. Joe is like, okay, here's the deal. You're going to protect us. You're going to make sure we're not indicted. You're going to get the government off of our backs. And I guess like Kennedy's part of this is that he gets to be around the bossy project. Yeah, because Joe specifically says bossy you can't use bossy you have to give up your dream of using bossy in order to i don't know what he was trying to, to do with it be, 
yeah, it was really confusing. Basically, Kennedy was getting nothing out of this except for the ability to say, I was there from the start, I guess. Yeah, like, Kennedy's, like, a really shrewd businessman, but he is terrible at making deals, apparently. Yeah, and then, so then he's like, let's make a contract. And, and Joe's like, we don't need a contract. And then, and then Kennedy says, no, damn it. Contracts can be broken. My word can't. I was like, no, wait, actually, <laughs> opposite. Right, right. <laughs> okay. No sense whatsoever. Um, they bring the Bossy Project to Kennedy's various compounds. He's got like a a business center and like a hospital and all this other shit. So they're hanging out, working on Bossy some more. Um, and they decide that they're going to like essentially turn the public perception of Bossy to be more favorable. So they... Oh, but before this... Oh, shoot, did I forget something? Before this, Joe and Mabel meet for the first time since her transformation. And Mabel has, through the result of her going through this process, has also become a telepath of limited capability. And And so, obviously, they fall in love. Yeah. And And easily, (laughs) naturally, she came into his arms. They totally banged right there in Kennedy's office (laughs) where they were meeting. There's, like, this weird, like, explanation of how she became a telepath. Because at first, like, when she first arises from Bossy, like, Joe can't connect to her mind at all. Um Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, is she going to be, like, immune to Joe or whatever? But then, no, now she's, like, a full-blown, like, she can talk to Joe telepathically, whatever. And the explanation mm-hmm. is essentially, like, back before Bossy, I only thought one way. And after Bossy, I learned to think multiple ways. So I just thought, why not be a telepath? <laughs> <laughs> NBD. <laughs> so that's how I became a telepath and that's how science works you guys if you just think hard enough you too can be a telepath <laughs> if you're just a better human you can yes. be a telepath you you can be a telepath like me Mabel the 54 year old hooker who is now in love with Joe <laughs> and I'm so beautiful and youthful like okay yeah. calm down. And, and then from that point on they spend 24 7 in each other's minds they have zero boundaries they spend all of their physical time together and then the author makes a point of saying joe has a part of him in his brain constantly in order for her to help cope with her new telepathic powers i guess like easing the shock of suddenly being able to feel everything but it just sounded like a creepy possessive boyfriend they are every couple on facebook who uses a uh, joint Facebook account. Yes, yes. Joe and Mabel, Joe Ampersand Mabel, all one word. <laughs> it's their first uh, name. <laughs> yes, they hire this guy, or they they work with this guy who's like a PR maven, a PR Steve genius. Flynn. He's like a jerk. Yeah, Flynn. So he's like a journalist, right? No, I think but- he just has a marketing firm. I. From what I, I completely glossed over the Flynn stuff. Yeah, he I'm just, I lie. think he was just one of Kennedy's PR guys. He just had a marketing firm and that was his okay. job. Um, so yeah, so they, they get this guy Flynn, who's like a marketing guy. Um, and he, you know, spins all of these stories. So everybody's, the public perception of Bossy turns. And instead of everybody being like, Bossy's trash, we hate her and she's going to destroy the world. Everybody's like, Bossy's going to save us. Bossy is the new messiah. So so the government, of course, uh, folds to this pressure and 
the gang is no longer uh, under indictment and they're free to work on Bossy in Kennedy's lab as much as they yeah. want. Um, so they, they set up another test, uh, except this time they're going to do it in front of the cameras and it's going to be Billings, um, the professor. Mm-hmm. And he's going to undergo the psychosomatic therapy and hopefully become youthful and beautiful like Mabel. Because doesn't he deserve it as a world-famous scientist? he does. He deserves immortality. He deserves immortality. He's so special and beautiful and wonderful. And Mm -hmm. not old and gross like Mabel was. He's old and wise. Yeah, which isn't just our commentary. That's actually, like, what the author said. And, like, that's a a problem people have with Bossy is that now that they know Mm -hmm. Mabel could be turned into this beautiful young thing, how come a piece of trash hooker could turn her life around, don't I also get to turn my life around? Right, Just, right. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they set up this whole thing, and it's a big media circus, and they attach Billings to the machine. Bossy essentially blue screens of death over it and is like, <laughs> can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. Cannot compute. She can't perform the process on she Billings. She has performance anxiety. Yeah. It's, it's really hard for Bossy, all these cameras. <laughs> <laughs> So they can't do it. They pull Billings out. And Joe is like, I knew this would happen all along. And everyone's like, well, fuck you, Joe. Like, why didn't you tell us this? And he's like, well, I wanted to prove to the public that Bossy wouldn't work on everyone because what Bossy does is uh, the psychosomatic therapy, which gets rid of all of your preconceived, like, if you're not willing to let go of your preconceived notions of how the world is or should be like it won't work because you won't let go of all of these tensions so Mm -hmm. mabel could do that because she was already living in like this state of um cognitive dissonance because she had done all of these things that society considered it immoral but she was also like thriving off of it because she had like this like criminal empire and whatever so Mm -hmm. like because she knew that society didn't work the way that society said it worked, she was able to let go of her understanding of how society should work. Mm-hmm. And Billings, because he had been in his ivory tower, which they use that phrase eight million times in this book, <laughs> um, but because he was all ivory tower, he couldn't let go of his preconceived notions of how the world works. So the yeah. therapy couldn't work on him and his cells couldn't be refreshed. Which sounds like a great plan is like, let's let all of these intolerant people become really resentful towards a group of people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So Joe allowed this to happen. In front of 400 million people. Yeah. Because he wanted to prove a point because again, Joe just likes fucking with people. Yeah. Joe just likes fucking with people. He's a bad person. <laughs> He just wants to be in control. Right, right. They go through all this. um, And then the government decides to send in some guards to try to, like, forcibly remove Bossy from Kennedy's compound. Mm -hmm. And the only reason that this plot device happens is to set it up so that Joe has to use some more telepathic nonsense (laughs) in order to get Carney to go into the machine. Because Carney has decided he wants to go into the machine in order to be closer to Mabel because he and Mabel are best friends. And she was, like, the only friend he had. Mm -hmm. But, which, like, that would have been fine. That would have been, like, an easy thing to do. But 
uh, Clifton at some point was obviously like, oh, I need more drama. Um, I'll have the guards storm the compound and one of them try to stand between Carney and bossy and the only thing that can defeat him is more telepathic bullshit from joe (laughs) and not even like like joe was dead asleep i think when this happened and he just got this sudden telepathic thought of i think like carney's desperation or something woke him up and he startles awake and from where he is and his bedroom he can somehow telepathically manipulate the situation in order for Carney to come out on top. Which incidentally goes against the only rule that was established for Joe's telepathy, which is that he has to see the person or like have been in contact with them or like um, touch something that they touched. So this guard who Joe presumably has never met, Joe uses his telepathy to manipulate him to let Carney in. It's like you had one rule. You had one rule. You just completely shattered that one rule. Like, yeah. what was the point of establishing that as a rule? And, well, and then he also manipulates his friend Carney <laughs> into possibly doing something he wasn't necessarily going to yeah. do for himself. I don't know. It's really unclear how much Carney, like, actually wants the bossy procedure and how much it's Joe making him want it. Yeah, because Carney's like, I don't know why my body's doing this or why I'm reacting this way. So it's Mm. pretty messed up. Yeah. And and then Joe tries to claim that like, oh, I knew Carney would would ever since we um moved out of Skid Row and came to the Kennedy compound, I brought him along, even though he really had no purpose in being here because I knew that this one moment would happen. Like, please. So Carney undergoes the procedure and they, having learned nothing from the last thing, make a big media circus out of it. Um, Mm -hmm. But this time, of course, it works. And he, because he, like Mabel, is able to let go of his preconceived notions of the world. And Carney emerges a super hot, young 20-something with telepathic abilities. And declares himself Joe's best friend yes. before even checking with Joe. Right. But I guess telepaths don't have well, to I do mean, that. Like, he's a telepath, so he probably knew. Yeah, he just knew. <laughs> We're the best he was like, friends. <laughs> so um, Carney and Joe and Mabel become a super tight telepathic clique. Yeah, it's basically like the golden trio from Harry Potter. And everyone's like, ooh, is it going to become a love triangle scandal? But... Mabel and Joe are like, no, we're in love. Carney is going to have a girlfriend eventually when someone else undergoes this. But until then, we're fine like this. And like, <laughs> and there's this like really weird section where they explain that now that Carney's a telepath, like Joe's loneliness is like totally gone because Mabel kind of helped him with it because like she was his new love yeah. and that helped but like he needed that companionship so Carney and does Mabel it for him. knew she couldn't fill his whole heart right. because he needed a man friend which like is so stupid oh <laughs> <laughs> um, man um anyway so they become best friends slash whatever uh and everybody starts like writing Kennedy begging to get the bossy technology like everybody wants bossy the government different parts of the government want bossy different companies want bossy the post office wants bossy everybody's Mm -hmm. all about that bossy Uh, (laughs) and 
Kennedy's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm so confused. Uh, who knows? And they take a couple meetings and Joe pulls some more telepathic bullshit um, mm -hmm. to maneuver their way out of the meetings. And then the telepaths all together are like, clearly this, the problem with Bossy is that if any one person has her, they can destroy her. But Bossy will rise again from the ashes. So nothing really matters. Also, everything will be just great if we make a million bossies. We'll just mass produce bossy and send her to everyone. And Kennedy's <laughs> like, wow, that's a really good, simple solution that you guys just came up with. And they're like, mm, no, we thought of this two weeks ago. We just wanted to let you dangle for a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the thing. Like, we, we wanted you to be really stressed out. We didn't want to say anything about our grandmaster plan for you, but we literally everything is ready to go. Right. Like, all you was, have to do is sign the There was no tension line. at all because we knew what, was, what we were going to do. We knew the solution to the problem weeks ago. We just didn't feel like telling you. So that yeah, all we had to make sure you were ready to accept our suggestion because <laughs> you would have smashed it, I think is the phrase they use. You yeah. would have smashed it otherwise. Yeah, they keep saying, oh, you could destroy Bossy, but it also doesn't matter because Bossy will rise again. Like, why does anything <laughs> matter then? Nothing matters. Exactly. <laughs> it's so stupid. Um, so Joe calls a press conference and is like, people of the world, Here's 18 metaphors to talk about this. Also, trees, trees water, water. <laughs> also, you can go buy Bossy at Toys R Us. <laughs> go pick up, pick up Bossy at your local Walmart. And if you can't afford one, there will be one at the library for you to check out. <laughs> so everybody gets Bossy. And if you are able to let go of your preconceived notions, you can become immortal. Sucks to suck if you can't. Sorry. The end. Yay. So that was... Uh, they'd rather be right. Yeah. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as we did. I did not. I, it was, it was a lot. There was, there was like a lot of philosophy that I didn't care about. Uh, for and that sure. was fun. It was a huge mess. I, I can't say it was a huge mess. I said that so many times. On the last yeah. One. Well, it was I, though. I, this, it was, it this was. was a more like concise mess. <laughs> yeah. This one, like at least it, it made sense. There were. Like, there weren't huge gaping plot holes. And also, I think we should probably mention that this uh, was originally published as, like, a serial. Yeah. So, honestly, if I had been reading it like that, I might have actually enjoyed it a little bit because it was very episodic, where it's like, here's a problem that comes up and Joe solves it with his telepathy. Reading it all at once, it was very like, hmm, I wonder how they're going to fix this. Hmm, probably Joe's telepathy again. Yeah. It. If you weren't reading it all at once, it wouldn't have been that bad, I don't think. Like, so I can see how it kind of worked as a serialized novel, but as an actual novel, it just didn't. It didn't work. Yeah, too well. it was. It was not great. And all the parts that I wanted to be highlighted were just glossed over. And everything that I was like, I got this four paragraphs ago, just went on for pages and pages and pages. Right. Like, there was just too much philosophy bullshit. Um, it got very very difficult to parse um mm -hmm. and it just like there wasn't anything happening <laughs> yeah yeah but and I, I mean I guess this kind of we're kind of talking about silver linings I guess for the book like they, there were some interesting ideas that just were not fully fleshed out um I was definitely yeah. left wanting more um especially the part my favorite part I think was the when they were in hiding out in Skid Row and trying to stay undercover and we're all 
bunched together in one small apartment working on bossy and having to sneak out to get supplies. Like, that yeah. stuff was interesting. There were a lot of, like, good plot ideas in here that could have been really cool, but the author was too concerned with spouting yeah. his philosophy. My silver lining to this book was uh, that it had a surprising um, acknowledgement of, like, privilege for a book written in the 50s. When they're discussing who's going to get the machine, mm -hmm. everybody thinks that they're the most deserving. Mm -hmm. There's there's a part where, like, the respectable members of society are, like, confused about, like, kind of what we talked about, why uh, it works on these people who are, like, lower class and whatever. And it says accustomed to bringing everything from slot machines to semantics in favor of some particular group, they could not conceive of a machine which had not been rigged and slanted deliberately. Which I was like, that's very mm. apt for <laughs> for our time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I thought, I thought that was like, there was some interesting social commentary in here that I was like, yeah, that's pretty ahead of the of your time. Yeah, it was like the the stuff about women, eh, kind of a mess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know, the stuff about like privilege in general was like, yeah, a little bit little bit ahead of its time, I felt, which I was like, good job on that. Yeah, um, yeah. So that was nice. I like that. Um which character did you relate to the most in this story? The character I related to the most, I think, was Steve Flynn, because Dude's just there to get his job done. And he's like <laughs> as sick of these people as I was by the end of the book. They, they refer to them as brains, the people that come from an academic yes. setting. And he was just like, these brains don't know how to, any, they don't know anything. They don't know how to talk to people, how to relate to people. These brains are just so kooky. <laughs> Just like, yeah, I, I can get that, Steve Flynn. I'm, I, you're just there to do a job and do it well, and that's all they asked of you. Right. <laughs> How yeah, about you? Like, he was, he was definitely the most oh, normal of for sure. the bunch. Definitely the least annoying of the main characters. Um, was he a main character? I mean, like, he was for he the last Yeah, bit, he was probably. in that part of the serialized novel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the character, I, I was split between two characters um, that I related to. Um, the first one was the dog that died <laughs> immediately because that's what I wanted to do with Beautiful. this novel. <laughs> I just wanted to die. Um, the second one was one that you, you mentioned a while ago, um, the guard who just doesn't want to deal with his job at all. Who's <laughs> yeah. just like, I'm here to try to make deliveries go more smoothly, but I'm going to do the exact opposite of that. I hate this dead-end job, and I ain't going to do it. I hate this dead-end job. I'm going to make it miserable for myself and everyone who has to deal with me. Beautiful. I connected with him on a spiritual level. <laughs> oh, man. But Manjo got the last laugh on that guy. Oh, he did. He did. He was... But, I mean... Joe got the last laugh on everyone because Joe was an omnipotent super being. It was a bit unfair. Who was not relatable at all. <laughs> yeah, he said some pretty nasty things about normal people. Yeah. Um, he was real Totally rude. untalented normals. <laughs> blind, yep. we're stuck in a blind circling rut. <laughs> Yeah. Um, simply to be in the same room with certain normals was a drain on endurance almost beyond bearing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I have to be around regular people. Yeah, he's 
the worst. Yeah, yeah, he was not a very likable main character. Uh, the other problem with the plot was that this is a sci-fi book from the 50s, which anytime you're reading old sci-fi, like obviously technology marches on. Yeah. It's going to be dated. Uh, but the two main technological things that this book was talking about was the psychosomatic medicine, which is essentially complete bullshit. And maybe we didn't know that in the 50s, but I feel like at least to the extent that they're talking about in this book, like, yes, mind-body connection, Mm -hmm. but like to the extent of like, go to talk therapy, and if it goes perfectly, you'll no longer have arthritis. That's complete nonsense. Um, (laughs) And I feel like we knew that even then, but maybe not. But the the other thing is that uh, the end of the book where they're like, oh, we're going to send Bossy out into the world and she's going to be everywhere and you're, she's going to be able to share her knowledge with everyone and you can just ask Bossy a question and she'll come back with the answer mm-hmm. and it'll be worldwide, this web of what could that worldwide be? knowledge. What could it be? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like so <laughs> this whole book is where is essentially they invented a cow version of Ask Jeeves. <laughs> Mark Clifton, you heard it here first. Mark Clifton invented the internet in 1954. So that was pretty stupid. <laughs> um, but again, like in 1954, like, yeah, that would have seemed like a cool, seemed like a cool. So, I mean, to some extent, like the reason this book is bad is because it's just technology went in a way that was less cow themed than Clifton anticipated. Yeah. Which, I mean, how can you? anticipate something like that right 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 you you expect there's going to be a lot more cows in our future (laughs) you expect there to be a lot more cow wranglers that are familiar with the term (laughs) bossy (laughs) oh man Uh, so that i think unless is there anything else you would like to talk about with this novel i don't think so um I don't know. I had, I kind of had, I read a couple articles about why this book may or may not have deserved a Hugo, but I didn't really do a lot of research to have an opinion on my own. So (laughs) some people say yes. And some people are just like, well, I think, I think one of the prevailing thoughts is that Mark Clifton was very popular for his short stories. And so he was kind of given this award as a gimme. I don't know. Um, I read, there was a couple mentions on both Wikipedia and another article I pulled up, but I could never find an explanation. But again, I didn't do a lot of research on this, that there was like a Scientology conspiracy. Yes, but I saw that too, but I was like, where is it? Where's the, I, I want to, cause I love some good Scientology drama. Yeah. I was like. <laughs> Let me in on Tell this, me more. but I didn't see it in the book at all. I think everyone's afraid to talk about it in case they yeah. find out you talked about it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I was because I read I read the Scientology thing and I was like, ooh, was he a Scientologist? Was he against Scientology? Like, what's the deal? But like, <laughs> what was the freaking conspiracy? Right. So, and then I guess that, another huh? thing was like the list of novels uh, or the list of nominees that year wasn't actually published and so we don't really have a way of knowing what else was out there that was considered for the hugo that's reliable i guess but yeah Yeah. so anyway if anyone knows anything about this scientology conspiracy or (laughs) anyone knows about the scientology conspiracy email us Um, yes (laughs) we want to be the leaders of this (laughs) 
of this conspiracy theory which actually speaking of conspiracy theories this entire book like i definitely felt like clifton was a conspiracy theorist like where he's just like oh the normal way of thinking like you guys just don't understand the deep in-depth like what's going on behind the curtains and i'm like yeah 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 tell me more about how england is ruled by lizard people i get what you're saying like (laughs) lay it on me so yeah that is That is this book. (laughs) I don't have anything more to say about it on my end, I don't think. All right. So since you challenged me this week to read uh, They'd Rather Be Right, I get to challenge you for next week. Uh, So nervous. Sorry, next fortnight. Um, Oh, yes. So we read last week a fantasy novel. This week we did sci-fi. So I thought we could take a step back from speculative fiction for just a second. And uh-huh. try a little romance. Oh no! Um, <laughs> oh no! All right. So, um, Anna, have you ever heard of a man by the name of Chris Harrison? No. Should I have? Uh, you might know him as the host of such shows as The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Oh no! <laughs> no. Did you know, Anna, that Chris Harrison, the beloved longtime host of ABC's The Bachelor, has written a book? No. Why? Who who <laughs> let him do that? Uh, no one knows, but he has. And he has gifted us all with it. And we are going to read it for oh, our God. next episode. I already feel sick. Uh- <laughs> So our next our next episode will be The Perfect Letter, a novel by Chris Harrison. Oh my uh, gosh. Uh, this is the, the blurb. You ready? Yes, hit me. From the man who knows a thing or two about love. <laughs> Lee Merrill spent 10 years running away from her past. Now she's going back. A talented young book editor in New York City, Lee leads a rich life full of writing, parties, and romance, far from the dust of her grandfather's horse farm in Texas. And she is engaged to Joseph, a brilliant, generous man who adores her. Still, when she's invited to a writer's conference in Austin, Lee can't help but feel that Texas, with all of its tangled secrets, is calling her home. She tells herself the trip is just a few days away to catch up with old friends, meet new authors, and clear her mind. But Lee's plans for a quiet retreat quickly dissolve when she discovers a stack of letters from her past in her hotel room. Letters that bear her soul and her deepest and darkest secrets. Letters she wrote to the love of her life. After years of running, but with nowhere left to hide, Lee must finally decide what she truly wants and just how much she'll risk to get it. What? (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, I'm sure this will be full of just so many good things. (laughs) I can't wait. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's all for this episode of Hate Read. Um, if you want to get in contact with us for any reason whatsoever, like if you know of a really terrible book that you think we might hate. Or, or you'd like to fill us in on the Scientology conspiracy. Yes, please. <laughs> please do that. You can contact us um, two ways as of right now. The first one is that our email account, hatereadcast at gmail.com, and on Twitter at hatereadcast. Uh, make sure to subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you find it. 
I think that wraps it up for this episode. In the words of Mark Clifton, ladies and gentlemen of the world, there she sits. (laughs) Bossy is yours. (laughs) Cause I'm bossy. Oh no, cut that out. That was bad. (laughs) That's staying in. Uh No!